Hey guys, it's Lindsay with NBC Media. Thanks for listening to our podcast and be sure to look at our website for events that you can get involved in. See you next Sunday. If you would, turn your Bibles to Luke 13, Luke 13, verses 1 through 9 will be our focal passages. Now, I will not uh, read them at the beginning because we're going to go through each verse individually today, so uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Have you ever wondered why God allows bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to bad people? (laughs) I am not going to try to answer all that question today because, to be honest with you, I don't know it all. But one thing that we're going to see here today is that God allows horrific events into each person's life to remind them, to emphasize the need of repentance. So there lies the title of the sermon today, Repentance Required. You know, I look back, well, I know you do unless you're... You know, under the age, I think, of 13 or four or whatever it was, the Hurricane Katrina, you remember that? And the, the emotions that swept over me and others, but the emotions that swept over me when I heard the accounts, the people, the numbers of people, and they were still rolling in, the people who died and who were injured and misplaced. I thought about the panic that swept over the victims. And I wondered how many were ready to meet the Lord. My heart went out to those folks. Why did so many have to die? Not because they were any better or any worse than the rest of us, since all of us have sinned. None of us has the right to think that we're too good to die this way. In our sinful world, death comes to all of us in one way or another. But death comes in God's time. This section of Scripture, verses 1 through 9, teaches us that disasters are a call to repentance. They should remind us of our need to confess our sins and turn to Jesus for salvation or to renew our commitment to Him. Here Jesus teaches us the urgency of repentance. And He uses two calamities that befell certain Jews to illustrate the fate that awaits those who do not repent. Now, if you want to go around and look at some parallels, there aren't any. The Gospel of Luke is the only one that really uses these two 
events. Matthew talks some about the barren fig tree, which could be an illustration, but it's not the same way. So we don't, you know, I won't be using that today. But Luke is really the only in the four Gospels that talks about this. Now there also, as we talked about last week, there is a parable involved with this, but it's also based on true events. And whether or not Jesus just found out about this or maybe had known about it for a week or two, we don't really know, but we're going to take kind of the look that he just that some Jews just came and told him about it, some people just came and told him about it, and we'll see his reaction to that. Now I want to, you know, there's, there's a danger here. The point of this entire sermon is to be found in verses 3 and 5. And basically it says, unless you repent, I forgot my place. Oh, unless you repent, you too will also perish. I'm sorry, my mind's going a hundred different directions today. Okay, so since that's the point, that doesn't mean you can get up and leave now. Death is the common denominator for everyone. Only repentance can bring life as people prepare to enter the kingdom. And that comes from the Bible knowledge commentary. So we're going to look at at, uh, basically four different points today. First being the political tragedy, that's verses 1 through 3. Number 2 is going to be called that the natural disaster, which is verses 4 and 5. And then we'll look about fruitless lives in verses 6 and 7, and second chances in verses 8 and 9. So starting off with the political tragedy. As Jesus was finishing His Discourse recorded in chapter 12, some people arrived from Jerusalem and in verse 1 tell Jesus about a tragic event that occurred at the temple. So we'll look at verse 1, 13 verse 1. And it says, There were present at that season some who told him about Galatians, about the Galatians whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. For some unknown reason, Pilate had executed some Galileans. How many? We don't know. Could have been just a couple. It could have been several. We, we just don't know. We know that this did happen. We know that Josephus wrote about it was rather commonplace for Pilate at that time uh, to get mad at people, especially during the Passover time, and he would kill them. If there was an insurrection or something of that nature, it was fairly common. The report that Pilate had mingled their blood with the sacrifices probably not a literal 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 not literally. For such an action would have incited the Jews to a possible insurrection. 
It probably meant that the blood of the Galileans was shed in or around the temple as well as the animals. Passover time was often a time of political unrest and the Romans' alert level was high. Pilate, for whatever reason, thought these Galileans were caught up in some sort of a plot punishable by death. These folks may have wanted Jesus to address the religious, religious rights or political limitations, but there is a more basic issue, a more important issue than politics or religious rights that Jesus wants his audience to think about. The death of these unfortunate Galileans arouses the question that Jesus asks in verse Two, And it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? The question, coupled with, with verse 4, which we'll read in just a minute here, reflects a common thought among the Jews of Jesus' day that physical affliction was caused by sin. If you want to look more about that, you can look at John 9, verses 1 and 2, where the disciples asked if the man was blind because of him or because of his family's sin. It was commonplace back then to think if something physical went wrong with you, it must have been called by sin. Did the Galileans' murder prove that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Jesus counters this thought with the next verse. And I believe there's a more basic issue involved in religious or political rights. Verse 3 calls people to repent if they're going to live. Look at verse 3. It says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Their death didn't prove that they were greater sinners, but their death would remind all of the need to repent. Their deaths were not just the result of judgment of God because they were making sacrifices at their time of death. Did you, did, did you get that? They didn't die because they were in a wrong place with God because they were <laughs> making sacrifices to God right then and there when they were killed. I think this week, and I, I said something about it Wednesday night because I found out about it Wednesday uh, we're, we're across the world. We have uh, Indian believe, Muslim believers that were coming out of their uh, coming out of their temple or coming out of their worship place, and they were mowed down with gunfire. And ISIS claimed uh, has claimed responsibility of that. Did those people die as sinners because they did something wrong? No, they were just coming out of their worship centers. Bad things happen to good people. So Jesus uses that point in verse 4 to teach us 
of the necessity of repentance. To teach us to tell others about the necessity of repentance. Because time is short, friends. Let's look at it natural, a natural disaster in verse 4 and 5. In verse 4, Jesus brings up another incident that shows life's frailty. Verse 4, or of those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Jesus deals and, and talks about a second event to make the same point, a natural catastrophe. The tower of Siloam had collapsed and killed 18 people. Their accidental death must certainly doesn't indicate that they were guiltier than all others living in Jerusalem. Jesus had referred to two tragedies that occurred in his day. In one, Pilate killed some Galileans, and in the other, 18 Israelites died when a tower fell on them. The idea was that people who died like that must have been guilty of some sort of horrendous sin. Now back to what I started with in the uh, with Katrina, I can remember Christians debating whether or not God was judging them because of the horrendous activities going on in Baton Rouge. I can remember hearing on the radio people debating, well, God allowed this horrendous judgment on those people because of all the sins that go on in Baton Rouge. I can remember talking amongst, because I was working at Trinity at the time, and I can remember talking about the other advisors, and some were very adamant in, in God's judgment being placed upon these people, and some being absolutely on the other end, and it really caused a, a kind of a disruption in our own work because we didn't agree. And then it even brings my mind a little bit closer to home when we had that tornado that went through Evansville and all those people died in the trailer park. Did God bring judgment on those people because they lived in a trailer? Them sinful people, they live in a trailer, they gotta die. No! See, folks, I can't, even though we're going to get to the point, and we're getting to the point here, is this is a call to repentance. No one can answer why these things happen. Why do people go out and get in a car who are wonderful Christians, strong in their uh, work at the church and family, and some drunk driver runs into them going down I-69? Why? I, I don't know. But I do know with all the activities that surround these things, news coverage and people talking about it, is a wonderful time to emphasize the need to repent. I don't know why that happened to them, but I do know things will happen. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready. I know 
I know the frustration of talking to someone over and over again about their need to be ready and them each time saying, well, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. And it makes me think, okay, am I not trying hard enough? No, because it's not me that leads the person who convicts the person of their need for sin. That's the Holy Spirit. All I can do is be the mouthpiece. But still, it is so frustrating when you talk to somebody over and over. I'm in the middle of this right now. Talk to somebody over and over and they look and they seem to get it and then they just say, I'm, I'm thinking about it. This last time I even said, you can walk out that door and trip over a hole in the concrete and bust your head on a tombstone and never come back from it. And you're not ready to meet Jesus. And I know. It's frustrating. Jesus rejected that kind of thinking where a natural tragedy like the tower, like Hurricane Caprina, Caprina, Katrina, like the family who was killed by the drunk driver on I-69. He rejected the, the, the idea of thinking that they died because of some sort of sinful act in their own life. He told his hearers that instead of trying to find someone to blame, they should see such events as a call to repentance. When we hear those type of tragedies, we should leave the why questions alone and look at these events as a time for self-examination and repentance. From this, this disastrous event, Jesus says again in verse 5, I tell you, no, but, be, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Life's tragedies are a call to reflect and repent. Disaster awaits the unresponsive. If they willfully reject Christ and persisted in that sin, they will face a fearful and tragic end. Some Christians are quick to announce that a public disaster such as a, like an earthquake or terrorist attack or a flood is the result of divine judgment. But in reality, many, many factors lie behind most disasters. So instead of claiming divine judgment, we should see them as a call to personal repentance. Calamities, tragedies, disasters in themselves are not, they're not good, but they can fulfill God's purposes when they serve as a wake-up call to believers and when they believe when they bring unbelievers to repentance in faith in Jesus Christ 
Herb Vander Lute, I found this while I was doing some research, says, let's not ask who's to blame, but Lord, what are you saying to me? Let's not ask who's to blame, but Lord, what are you saying to me? Let's look at the verses 6 and 7. We'll call this fruitless lives. If the lesson of the first five verses is repent and be saved, then the lessons of verses 6 through 9 is repent and be saved immediately. Since sudden death is a real possibility, the sooner we repent and bear the fruit of repentance, the better, or the, the better to do that. In verse 6, Jesus begins telling a parable illustrating this spiritual eternal reality. So in verse 6, he also spoke this parable and says, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. The fig tree was a common symbol for the Israelite nation. So Jesus uses it in a parable to remind the Jews of a far greater tragedy than a political one or a far greater disaster than a natural one. The nation of Israel had not repented nor brought forth spiritual fruit. I'm going to be honest with you. Originally, this sermon was just going to be on verses 6 through 9. But there's so much more involved with it, starting in verse 1. But my first question that I was going to ask when I was just looking at verses 6 through 9, we know that this parable is relating to the nation of Israel, but it also relates to us today. My friends, what kind of spiritual fruit are you exhibiting today? I've even said this before. Would they know that you're a fruit tree by the fruit you have on your limbs? In verse 7, shows that this tree had received special interest, a special interest, from the vineyard owner. Look at verse 7. It says, Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look for three years. Or look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up my ground? Now, friends, I, I hope that you all know, maybe you're looking at a study Bible there, but the owner is a representation of God. The vineyard manager is Christ Jesus. The fig tree itself is the nation of Israel, or it also can mean us right now. But what did the vineyard keeper tell him to do? Ask him to do. Didn't tell him, but he asked him. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. I love this verse. 
But he answered and said unto him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. The keeper asked him to give it one more year, perhaps special care and fertilizer might do the trick. While deaths, while the deaths in verses 1 and 4 are sudden and unexpected, unexpected, the Holy Spirit's call for repentance will not go on indefinitely. Bible Reader's Companion put it like this, God is patient, but judgment will not wait forever. He's given us another opportunity, another chance. There's still time to repent and bear fruit. So long as you are still hearing God's call to repentance, you have the opportunity to do so. But don't turn away from the Spirit's call to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. The sad part about this is in verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Some versions of the Bible says you will cut it down. The parable illustrates the point that's made in the first five verses that judgment comes upon those who do not repent. Here Jesus took the thought one step further and noted that fruit must be present. This is coming from the Bible Knowledge Commentary again. A visible change must be seen in the life of one who claims to trust the Messiah. If there is no visible change, that person, like the figless tree, is judged. Friends, do you have any figs on your tree? I'm talking to Christians now. Do you have any figs? Or you want to look at it like apples on an apple tree? I don't care. Is your tree is your tree making fruit? Or has it been years since your tree has sprung a piece of fruit? I can remember an old peace tree that we had in the backyard. That thing wouldn't, it wouldn't give a peach for nothing. All it did was make really bad sap. You know anything about peach trees? And the bees would love that thing. And every time I went to mow the backyard, I was, I hate getting stung, so I'd run from them bees. It was a peach tree that bore no fruit. And finally, Dad just said, we're going to get rid of that dumb thing. And he did. Friend, you may have Jesus Christ dwelling inside of you. You may be a Christian, but if you're not exhibiting fruit, you're in a very bad place, in a dangerous place.
Friends, if you are not a Christian, today you should be reminded to repent. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ. We never know what may happen. I want to close with this. The parable of this fig tree illustrates that people will not always have the opportunity to repent and turn over a new leaf. When we hear the reports of those people who died in verses 1 through 5, or when we hear reports, and I I talked about this a little bit last week also. Friends, it is so dangerous. I know people that are waiting for them to die, to get close to death before they accept Christ as their personal Savior. And I have been in the rooms, and I have only witnessed one, one or two, two, I guess, that actually did a deathbed confession. And I was so happy because they made it. But you know what? I've been in others. They passed on before they even got to talk about it. Or they didn't have any faculty about them to talk about it. Friends, if you've not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, today is the day of salvation. I even put it in this thing, the clock is ticking. God is watching His vineyard. And judgment will come for those folks not bearing fruit. Our only hope is God's willingness to hold off to deserved judgment. One verse that I, I, I like that gives promise and hope to that is 2 Peter 3.9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise meaning judgment as some count slackness but is so long suffering towards us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance but there is a time when the Lord will remove that hand of protection from that person will stop the Holy Spirit's call to repentance and leave them to their own devices. That's scriptural. I don't, I don't know if there's anyone in this house today that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior. Most of you I do know have made a commitment. But I know that there are some attending our church services that have not. And this should be a wake-up call to all of us that we need to spread the gospel to everyone we come in contact with. If we can't spread the gospel to the lost individuals that walk in our door, then how in the world are we going to spread the gospel to those people that we know don't like Christ? Those people that we work with. Those people that we see more often than the people that we see here. But still... We haven't taken the interest to lead them to Christ. That's our jobs, friends. We can be the vineyard manager, so to speak, and help cultivate, help fertilize, water, plant seeds, whatever that might be. But we need to do that. 
we need to tell people about the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. Because, friends, they will be judged. And they're headed for hell. And I don't want that blood on my hands. Repentance is not something you put on your bucket list. Nor should leading somebody to Christ be put on your bucket list. Something I need to do before I pass on. You want to start bearing a little fruit? Start spreading the gospel. Just start spreading the gospel. And that's our challenge for today. Spread the gospel. Let's prepare for our invitation time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the words that you have spoken through this sermon. Lord, I pray that they have fallen on ears and hearts that are listening. Lord, I pray that we may not be found wanting, that we may not be found fruitless. My prayer, Lord, is that we that we bear fruit. That we spread your gospel. Lord, if there's someone in our midst today that does not know you as their personal Savior, may today be the day of salvation. Guide us through this time of invitation, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Stand with me.